Hi, my good friends. Welcome to my podcast, Proclaiming Freedom. My name is Sadie Anderson. I'm so glad you're here. It's another great day to give glory to God, so that's what we're going to do. If you want to find more episodes or other resources on the topics I discuss, head over to my website, proclaiming-freedom.com. Okay, let's jump into it. Hi, my good friends. I am pumped about this episode. I'm probably going to say that every time, but this one, I definitely mean it. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the role of missions in the church and just how the Bible is a whole narrative about God's heart for everybody to know him in all nations. And so we see that narrative starting in Genesis 12 and the Lord gives a covenant a promise with Abraham and basically tells him to just leave his country and go be a blessing to other people and we see that same pattern happening all throughout the Old Testament and then in the Gospels each gospel has a verse Um, some scriptures where Jesus is talking about basically the Great Commission. Now, the one most people think about is in Matthew 28. Um, Mark 16 is also a common one. But there is also scripture in Luke 24 and John 20, 21. So it's not just one comment that Jesus made one time. It's recorded multiple times And he says it in different ways. So it's obviously important. And we see that that importance continues when you go to Revelation 7. And it's talking about the end times, everybody being up in heaven. And the vision that John sees is people from every tribe, every nation, every language are standing before the throne and praising God. So, of all the things that don't last in heaven, culture is one that does. And the ability to tell different tribes and nations and languages apart is still there. So, that's a a clear picture of God's heart that from the beginning, he wants everyone to know him. And the people who do know him are supposed to go out and be a blessing. So I just wanted to highlight that because when I first learned that narrative, saw it as the big picture, it really impacted me and made missions kind of come to life in a new way because I saw how this whole narrative is God's heart for everyone to know him. So here to help me talk about missions and share some of her testimonies is my friend Jackie. She works at the church I go to in their missions department, and that's how we met. Uh, A couple years ago, we went on a trip together, and ever since then, we've just been good friends. So, Jackie, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you could be here, even though it's just talking like normal. True. But I do have to say that 
we are sitting in a special place as we record this. It happens to be my closet, and it kind of feels like Narnia. So, come along to Narnia with us. <laughs> yeah, true. It's very quiet in closets because of all the clothes, so you find that out when you're recording things. So, Jackie, how many countries have you been to? I have been to 17 countries so far. And how many languages do you know? Only one. Barely one. <laughs> Just kidding. A well-spoken one. But we still have time to learn more languages. So I wanted you to help me talk through just some obstacles that people might face when they're considering missions. Okay, great. Okay, so first one is just an assumption. If someone is called into the mission field, it's for their whole life. This assumption doesn't really bother me personally because I plan on spending hopefully the rest of my life in the mission field but I do know that this can deter some people who are just kind of trying to figure out what even missions is and if they're called to it or not but I know multiple missionaries who spent time in the field for a few years and then ended up coming back to their home country and just transitioning into a normal job or a different ministry. And I also know some people who spent their whole life working a career and then later in life went into the mission field. And I personally know some people who've decided to spend their retirement in the mission field, which is super cool. Jackie, do you have any thoughts on that one? Yeah. Actually, just to share a bit about my family story and history, several of my family members have been missionaries for short periods of time. My aunt was a missionary right after college and up until a year past her getting married. And my parents were both missionaries right after they got married for a couple years in Europe. Um, and then there's also just grandparents that have done short-term stints doing various trips. So... I do think that missions is different for everyone, and the call that God puts on each one of our lives is different. So I just think it's important not to box yourself in thinking that it only will look a certain way. That's awesome. You have a whole family line full of missions. That's cool to be able to grow up in that kind of a family history. Okay, second is... A question that I've heard people get, I haven't personally received it from anybody, but I know it's out there. And the question is, why do you need to go to the other side of the world? There are people who need the gospel here. Do you have thoughts on that, Jackie? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it is important to remember where you come from in your local community. However, I always just refer back to the Great Commission verse in Matthew that talks about therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And so I think that sometimes it's easy for us to say that it's somebody else's job to go because I don't feel called to missions. However, that verse is not exclusive. It doesn't cut anybody out. In fact, it's very inclusive. And God is calling all of us to be a part of seeing that commission come to fruition. So I think that, yes, some are called to go to other nations. 
But some are called to stay here and to reach out to unreached people groups that actually might live in your own town. And I think that people don't think about those people, but they are here. They're in every city. And so it's important to continue to think about how you can be a part of that great commission, even here in our local community. And there are other ways, too, that we'll touch on in a little bit. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I also think that that question just kind of highlights a mistrust of God in a way that if I am called to go to another country, then somehow no one in my home country is going to get reached now. Like, that doesn't really make sense. And God's big enough to want to reach everybody and want to design a perfect path and a journey with him for each individual. So if he can call one person to the other side of the world, he can call people to reach the city that you're leaving or the state that you're leaving. Really quick, Jackie, do you want to define what an unreached people group is? Yeah, I think that's important to understand what we just talked about with that last question of unreached people groups aren't people that haven't heard the gospel. They're people that actually don't have access to the gospel because they live in a country or location that the church is not or that missionaries um, have a hard time getting into or just aren't in plenty there. So it's actually defined as any country or people group that has less than 2% evangelical Christians in it. And so when we talk about reaching the unreached, we're talking about going to the places and the people groups that have yet to hear the good news of Jesus. And as that is part of that verse in Revelation that Sadie referred to earlier, where all tribes and tongues will be present at the throne, That is important to know because we can't get to the throne until all have heard. And so there's a mandate that's been placed upon us as believers of Christ to go and reach the lost. And so I think that's important to remember as we're going through these questions because God is passionate about the unreached and he wants us to be passionate about them too. That was well said. All right, next is a big one. I think every single person who considers going into missions has to get over this pride hurdle. And that is, I don't want to support Rays. I think that this brings up a lot of interesting points. I think that as Americans, we're often taught that we need to work hard for our money. And so there's this kind of falsity that comes with the word support raising, where people just assume that it's kind of a freeloader way to live your life. And I think that that is a myth for many reasons. Um, Support raising, for one, is really hard and can be a job in and of itself. However, support raising is biblical, and there's a lot of points throughout the Gospels where we actually see Paul... Um, going from town to town 
and asking for assistance, whether it be through finances or food or places to stay. And so I think it's important to remember that the disciples were, in a sense, support raising. But also, that support raising allows us to take people along with us when we go into missions. So it allows people to join us in obvious ways through prayer and through financial giving, but also really creative ways as well and ways we don't think of. So it's kind of like a whole army of people gets to be a part of sending you to that country and supporting you in that way, which is really a gift. And I have had the blessing of seeing this multiple times in my life of just miracles that God has done in the way of support raising. But my favorite probably is um, that I was a part of a YWAM or Youth with a Mission program And um, we got to go to Cambodia and the Philippines as part of our outreach. And so about half of our team didn't have the funds to pay for their outreach fees. And so we decided we were going to have a big prayer and worship time and just pray over that because we were leaving in like a week. So we didn't have a lot of time to figure that out. And it wasn't, you know, pennies. It was like each person needed to raise about $6,000 a piece. And so um, the YWAM staff and the other teammates that did have their fees paid joined together and we just prayed over those that didn't and really just felt like that we would trust God and as he led us, we would write a number down on a piece of paper and throw it into this bucket. And then we had a financial recorder that would open the pieces of paper, see the name of the person that wrote it and the amount, and she would track Um, how that would go against somebody's fees they owed. So basically, we were trusting God with our finances. And God does amazing things, but he multiplied what we wrote down. And I don't know what everybody wrote down. I only know what I wrote down. But um, in just a matter of an hour, we had over $10,000 that were being covered just by people in the room. People that live on support, people that had already paid their fees and didn't have any money left. But God showed up and multiplied the pennies that we put into the bucket. And because of that, everyone got to go. That is one of my favorite stories. That's so cool. God can provide by bringing a divine appointment where you meet somebody who's all of a sudden excited about what you're doing. Or he can multiply literal money you guys the god that we serve is not poor he has all the resources whether it's physical healing or it's finances god's not worried about it and i just think that's a giant thing that that we worry about way too much if we only knew how good god is and how much he has for us we would probably be just laughing on the floor (laughs) one thing I know we talked about before we did this podcast is if you're struggling with how to support raise or I don't want to the just the question of do you really trust God to provide for you do you want to expound a little bit more on that yeah I think again Our culture here in America, especially, really 
praises self-sufficiency. And, you know, we've all heard the phrase, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and figure it out. And, you know, that's a lovely idea, but that's not, as we know, always how it goes. And so I think we have this sense that, well, you know, if I have a job, I have security and safety and nothing's going to happen to me financially. And that's really not true. I mean, if you think about it, at any point, any one of us could lose our job or our company might fold and no longer exist or any number of things. I think we've all come to face this a lot in the last year with COVID. And so I think that it's important to remember that God is the one that provides for us. And he doesn't just provide for us for, you know, big things, but he provides for us in our day-to-day needs and that's often through finances. And so I just want to encourage us to continue to trust that our safety and security comes only from Christ and that we can't earn that or work our way up in the world in order to achieve this goal of security. So I think that when you're support raising, it makes that really easy because you do have to trust God for the very bread you eat. But I encourage us all to be living in that way because it's really no different whether you're support raising or whether you work a nine to five job. Nice. Also, when you're talking about Paul speaking about raising support um, and preaching on that, one place to start that he is talking about that is 1 Corinthians 9. So definitely hit that up because Paul does a good job talking about why that's important and just kind of his attitude and belief on support raising and and supporting the people who are doing a ministry and giving their whole life to that. All right, last obstacle that we'll discuss on this episode is my family doesn't want me to go, <laughs> which for me, I think they know that it doesn't matter what what they want. I love them a lot, but I also want to live my life how God's called me to live it. So I think they're supportive. Do you have any stories or anything to share on that? Yeah, I think that my mom, uh, she has a testimony of when I first did my very first mission trip ever. And I decided I was going to go to Panama when I was 15 for the summer. And she kind of laughed at me and said, okay, great. Uh, If you can support raise, then you can go. And because it was a month, it was a lot of money. I think I had a raise between $6,000 and $8,000. So she thought that, you know, it would never happen. And she could be like, well, you didn't get enough money, so sorry. But lo and behold, I did because God wanted me to go and I was determined. And so um, I went and I think it was definitely hard for me to be away from my family for that long for the very first time. But it was really hard on my mom. And I didn't know this until way later now as an adult. But she really wrestled some nights with the enemy just trying to tell her I wasn't going to come home or that I would get really sick or really injured. And so she said she had a lot of sleepless nights while I was gone and was really just seeking the Lord for the truth. 
And I think that the Holy Spirit really just talked to her about that he gifts us, our children, and they're not really ours, they're his. And so I think God reminded her that she ultimately does have to give me back to him and trust him with my safety and security like we talked about. And so I came home from that trip and she shared some of those thoughts with me. And that was just special. I think it was a special time of connection with my mom, but also just for me to realize that she does trust God with my life. And if she can, then I definitely can too. And I know that not everyone's had such a wonderful story uh, like I have of your parents realizing that they want to trust God with your life. But I would just really encourage you to be prayerful about that if that's something you're struggling with and your family is not being supportive. That ultimately you have to be obedient to God. But God also does create family and he doesn't want us to just forsake all relationships we have just because of this calling he's given us. And so I do believe that he can reconcile those relationships with the calling that you have. And so I just can want you to really think about taking that to God and praying about it. Um, it's hard, but we also know that at the end of the day, we are called to be obedient to the things God has asked us to. I think that also brings up another thing that I thought was important is that as somebody who's going to be able to trust God with your family that you've just left, and it's kind of the same trust and the same putting those family members into God's hands the way that your parents do with you. So I just think it's cool that you can walk with your family through some of that stuff, even if you're on what you think is opposite sides of what's going on. You're really in the same place of we're all just trying to trust God with this and see how he shows up in the next minute and the next day and the next year. If you're interested in learning more about God's heart for missions and what's happening all over the world, I have a few resources to share. One is Assemblies of God World Missions. That is a sending organization. So you can go to their website. I'll put a link in the description and just kind of check out the countries they're involved in and the types of missionaries they support and just kind of figure out if that's something that you'd like to consider. There's also the organization Jackie talked about, which is Youth with a Mission, and I'll put a link to their website in the description as well. There's also a podcast called Voice of the Martyrs, and it's really well done. This guy just interviews missionaries from all over the world, people from all over the world, and the ministries they're doing in different countries, and what the religious climate is in that country. Just all kinds of cool stories on that podcast. There's also an organization called Perspectives. Jackie and I both took this course. It's a 15-week course, and it just kind of goes into what is the biblical basis for missions and studying that. Also, what is the history of missions? And then 
each week your class is taught by a different missionary and that is probably the best part of that whole course it really does give you a whole new perspective on how you read the bible and how you view the world and just the stories that you walk away with from people it's so encouraging and inspiring to see how god is working all over the world so i'll put those links in the description in case you're interested in more mission stuff Okay, so now, Jackie, if you would like to speak a little bit more on your story and any other cool testimonies you have, I'd just like you to have the floor. I know you mentioned your first trip to Panama, so if you wanted to share a little bit about your experience on that trip, you can start there. Great, I'd love to. So Panama was kind of a random thing. Or so I thought. When I was 15, my youth group always went to a Dare to Share conference. And the conference in and of itself honestly wasn't that great. But they always had really great advertisements. I would I would even call them like a commercial in a sense. So it kind of broke up worship from uh, the preaching or speaking. And they always turned on the lights and played loud music, and it was really engaging for my 15-year-old brain. So there was an advertisement while we were at this conference, and they were talking about global missions. And so I thought, well, that would be fun. I like adventures. I think that I would love to go to other countries. And so I went to check out their table, and they kind of like... A military recruitment table if you've been to college and you walk past one of those we're very eager to talk to anybody that would want to come up and talk to them so they gave me a bunch of information but they had this booklet that had tons of countries in it and it happened to be through teen mania which is a ministry that actually doesn't exist anymore but they were based out of texas so uh, that's when I decided I was going to go to Panama. And I don't think in my mind I had any other basis to that decision other than I just really loved the pictures and the colors and Panama looked beautiful and green and tropical. So that's where God hooked me. And then little did I know all the future plans he would have for me from there. <laughs> that's awesome. So commercials, what we should be putting our money into. I guess they really do work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so after that trip, what were your thoughts on missions? Yeah, so I had kind of a bad experience on that trip, to be honest. It, I don't want to go into a bunch of detail, but basically it just felt like it wasn't what I thought it would be. And, you know, If you've ever gone somewhere, you kind of have all these expectations of what you think it will look like and how your time will be. And I think I kind of idealized missions in my mind and uh, thought it would kind of be, this was before really Instagram and Facebook times, but it would kind of be like something for the gram in a sense of my teenage brain. And I really didn't think that God would capture my heart in the way he did, but also it was just hard. There was a lot of sacrifice. You know, we slept on these wooden pews and in the middle of a church in the jungle that didn't even have walls that went clear up to the ceiling. 
And so it was hot and humid. Um, the food wasn't that wonderful. And there was just a lot of hard work. And so I kind of came home feeling like, I don't know if I'm into this. This isn't something that I think I want to do again. But when I started talking to my mom about it, just processing and debriefing after I got home, she really challenged me to think about the positive aspects. And so there were a ton of positive aspects. And God really started speaking to me of, okay, you're going to do this more and again. And so that's kind of when I started thinking about, well, what would I do the next summer? So the next summer, I took that same book that I had got from that table and flipped through it again and decided that I wanted to go to Thailand. So after sleeping on hard wooden pews for a whole summer, the Lord's like, okay, but just one more time. Try it one more time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the Lord sometimes is very clever. And so Thailand was actually a really wonderful experience. And it was a total 180 from Panama in terms of I went into it just really having no expectation. And it was amazing how when I let my desires go, how much greater God's adventure was. And so I actually had a lot of fun on that trip. But really, that trip was a very pivotal point in my journey in missions because it was during that trip that God spoke to me my long-term call into missions. That's awesome. How did that come about? Did he just say it to you directly? So it happened after a church service. Our team went up into this upper room above the church, and it was a kid's room where they did Sunday school. And so um, we were sitting in the room and just having a time of prayer. And there was, I remember this very colorful map rug on the carpet. I'm sure most of you have seen it in either Sunday school or at preschool. <laughs> um, but they were just standing over the map and praying over it and just started saying that they felt like some people on the team would have a lifelong call to missions. And so just kind of in the quietness of my heart, I really felt just this urgency and they, you know, encouraged us to come forward if that was us so that they could pray over us. And, um, me being kind of shy really didn't want to, but after a few minutes of just feeling like the Holy Spirit was just nudging me and nudging me, I did go forward and receive that prayer. And, you know, I didn't know where I would go or when or anything, but it just kind of was the first time where I felt like, okay, God, if you're really calling me to do this full time, then I want to be excited and passionate about it. So whatever I can do to learn more about missions and to be a part of more short-term trips and to just educate myself on things, that was what I wanted to do. I think that's really cool because it took you... Just being obedient to trying something that you know God desires, which is missions, just trying it, not really knowing, and then because you were obedient and wanted to just show up and see what God had for you, God just kind of expanded that beyond what you would have asked him for, probably. Yeah. Yeah, it was 
kind of a special time. I came home and really felt excited and passionate and was thrilled to see what was next. And, you know, I was only 16 when I went to Thailand. And so I did the whole graduating high school thing and went (laughs) graduating high school. (laughs) That whole thing. As most people do. (laughs) I'm not special. (laughs) Anyway, and then moved on to college. I just started having different priorities and started feeling like, well, this is my life now. I guess I'm going to school and getting a job and doing the things that everyone else does. And so I kind of forgot about that moment I had up in the prayer room in Thailand. And I just started feeling like life was hard and frustrating and boring And school wasn't cutting it for me. I was trying my hardest to really like it, but I wasn't. And so I started praying and just kind of seeking the Lord for what would be next for me. And I didn't feel like I was supposed to finish school at that time. And so I started researching other options. And there was kind of two that came to mind and heart. A couple of the people that I had been to Thailand with had um, gone to Uganda and done some short-term work at a HIV AIDS home. And so I thought, well, that could be cool because I already know people there. So I thought, well, I'll just apply. And I also started researching YWAM, or Youth with a Mission, and knew that they had different um, YWAM bases all over the world, and you could go and experience the world and learn about God and So that seemed really neat. And the more I started looking into schools that they had, I just got really excited. So I applied for a YWAM base in Pismo Beach, California. And lo and behold, I was accepted to both the orphanage in Uganda and to this discipleship training school in Pismo Beach. And so being me, I had no idea what to do. And instead of facing my my problem, or not my problem, but instead of facing my decision, I decided that I would just keep doing school. (laughs) And so it was kind of this letdown moment where it was like, God, I don't know what this means. I mean, I was kind of hoping that he would shut a door on one and I would just have a really clear path. But it became really clear that Either way, he wanted me in missions and wanted me to be pursuing him in that call. And so, long story short, I ended up choosing the Pismo Beach uh, YWAM base. And I moved out there for six months to do a discipleship training school. And three months of that are what they call lecture phase, where you're just basically soaking up the Bible and being taught from different teachers every week. And then the last three months are outreach phase. So I got to go to Cambodia and the Philippines on my YWAM outreach. Nice. So you spent three months total between Cambodia and Philippines? Yeah. Okay. You went to Cambodia first? I did, yep. What was some of the food like there? Well, that's when I experienced... (laughs) um, Street food in Cambodia is interesting, but one of the things that I decided to be brave and eat is that they take chicken embryos that are, like, fully developed in the egg, but before they hatch, they 
kill the chicken. I'm sorry <laughs> to those of you that love chickens. Uh, and then you eat it. Like feathers, bones, beak and all. <laughs> and they have this bag of salts and um, spicy spices that they give you. And so you're supposed to dip your chicken in the spices <laughs> and munch on it. Apparently it's a tasty street snack. I did try it. It did indeed taste like chicken, but it was a yucky texture, and I would not do it again. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of hard. That's like next level from when you get served a fish with its eyeballs still in. True. It's like you're looking into its face as you're eating it. I couldn't do that. I don't think, anyways. Okay, what about the Philippines? What was your experience there? So my discipleship training school was focused on justice. And so we kind of focus on God's heart for justice and how you could use the arts, so like dancing, music, painting, um, to represent God's justice in different ways. So when we were on our outreach, we focused on the injustice of human trafficking and so the Philippines was a challenging month and a half for sure. Basically, we would sleep during the day, and then at night, we as a group would go into different bars around town and just try and strike up relationship and conversation with the girls that work there. And there's a lot of trafficking that really just happens out in the open in the Philippines. And so not only is that immensely just oppressive and spiritually heavy, but um, it was just really shocking to me how many American and European people, men and women, were there. And the more we got to know some of them, too, because you get talking to them while you're in these places, a lot of them do what they call sex trips. So they take time out of their year to go on this uh, trip where they spend most of their time in these places with these girls. And so initially my response was just extreme anger. I mean, talk about not wanting to just explode in a public place and physically harm people. I mean, I felt like I was constantly having to restrain myself because I just was so disgusted that this was a real thing and that people could be treated in this way. But I just really knew that God has a heart for all people, too. And so I was trying to reconcile these two things in my mind of God has a heart for these men and women that are doing these sex trips, just the same as he has a heart for these girls that are in this industry. And so I spent a lot of time praying over that and just asking that I would have God's eyes and his heart for both sides of the story. And it was amazing. One night we walked into this bar and we were sitting around talking to some of the girls and I just felt like I couldn't engage in conversation very easily with a group of girls. And so I was kind of just scanning the room and looking for somebody to talk to. And I saw this um, older gentleman that was just sitting alone by himself at the bar and he looked American. And so I went and introduced myself and um, sure enough, he was from the U.S. And so we just started talking and he asked why I was there and I told him, I was very frank, and I told him, you know, 
that my heart is really that these girls know their identity in Christ and um, that they be able to have redemption, even though their story has had these really horrible things um, that are part of it. And I just really felt compassion for him. That was really deep and definitely not for me. So I knew it was from the Holy Spirit. And so I just pressed into that. And I ended up talking to this guy for several hours. And he told me his story. I told him mine. And at the end, I just said, can I pray with you? And he was like, well, I don't know if I really believe in that kind of stuff. And I was like, it's okay. You don't have to. Um, And so I just prayed for him and asked that God meet him where he was at. And, you know, I don't know how any of that turned out or how that guy is or where he is today, but I do trust that the Lord is working on him and that the Lord loves him deeply. And so it was kind of this pivotal point where I learned different attributes of God's character because yes, God is a just God and he wants fairness in a lot of circumstances, but he also is a compassionate God that's full of grace and he shows up even when we have done horrible things and have really messed up, he still loves us. And so I felt like I got to see this duality of God and it was actually really beautiful and I felt like it was very eye-opening for me in moving forward in my missions journey. That is an amazing transformation. Like the intensity of that whole situation and just as how you experienced it as yourself initially and then the work that God did. That's that's really when you know that God does stuff that you can't see. And I really believe that God's compassion is what we should be asking for. And I've asked for it many times, and I don't think you can ever ask for it too much. Is just that capacity to be able to, to feel the compassion he has for everyone. And sometimes that starts with even yourself. I think that a lot of people, myself included, the first person you have a hard time having compassion for is yourself, and that's where God usually wants to start. But good thing he has an infinite amount of it. Okay, so after this whole intense six months of training and outreach, where did you go from there? So from there, I decided I never really wanted to leave. <laughs> and so I came home, I support raised, I packed up my life, and I moved out to Pismo Beach, California full-time to be on staff with uh, the YRAM base that is there. And my job looked like a lot of different things, but mostly I was focusing on short-term trips and how to engage the local community and local church of, of Pismo Beach Uh, kind of into missions and into short-term trips. So the really great part about that is that I got to be a part of a lot of trips and do a lot of traveling. So when I first got to Pismo Beach, part of our staff training was to go on an outreach together as staff. 
So we were supposed to pray and then decide on a location and we would go. So there was only a couple of us that were going to go and be a part of this staff outreach. But the cool thing was, is that as we sat down to pray about it, right away, I felt like it was Columbia in my mind. And so I just kept it to myself. And as we wrapped up prayer, one of the leaders asked, okay, who wants to share where they got? And another person that was in the staff staff training with me pulled out a map and he pointed to Columbia and he's like, I feel like Columbia. And so I was like, whoa, that's cool. So I said that I had gotten Columbia to you. And then um, the leader said, oh my gosh, I got Colombian coffee. <laughs> so off to Columbia we went. That is always the best when you get confirmation from the Holy Spirit. I think, man, I have a lot of favorite things, but that's one of them because then you know that you know and everyone else knows that this is what the Lord wants. So then it's just extra exciting. So, okay, you went through your six months of doing that training and then doing the outreach. And now you're going as a staff person of this organization. How was that different? You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty when you can look back on what God was doing and preparing you for. So in this moment, I had no idea that he was preparing me for something that was yet to come. But while we were in Columbia, we got the chance to go and take a boat ride that was a couple hours long to get to this little island. And I can't honestly tell you the name of the island now, but it was a beautiful island and it had a nickname of Little Africa. And I didn't catch all the history of it, but it was a place that as slaves were being brought over, there was a shipwreck and um, some other things that occurred that caused uh, these people to live on the island. And so we dock at Little Africa, and truly it felt like we moved from the South American country to Africa. It was kind of this crazy experience. It felt like it feels now as we sit in the closet. <laughs> we went through the wardrobe and we're now in Narnia. And so we're walking around and we end up at this medical clinic and there's this nurse there that's from Europe. And she's lived on this island for quite a few years now and speaks the language. She has a thriving ministry. There's other people there that do ministry with her, but her focus is medical. And she is the only medical provider on this island. And so the community really relies on her, and she has a very major role to play in their lives. And so me always being kind of interested in first aid and different things like that, I thought, oh, she's a lady that I want to spend this day with. And so I asked her if I could shadow her. And she had a long line of patients out her door. But there was just some sweet moments that I feel like the Lord highlighted that I'll never forget. And one of them was this little boy that was no older than four or five came to the clinic and he had injured his foot playing soccer. And if you've done any kinds of travel, you know that most cultures outside of America and Europe, 
Uh, they don't wear shoes. That's not a thing they like to do, especially while playing sports. I guess it's this oneness with the ball. And so he had injured his foot and she basically was just cleaning up a small cut and putting a bandaid on it. It was very simple. But the conversation that she had with him was just special. And you could tell that he knew her, he trusted her. And so I thought, wow, this is something that I'm really interested in. And what's special about having a skill like medical is that you don't have to speak the language necessarily in order to communicate that you love somebody. You can literally lay hands on them and be a part of washing wounds and caring for them in a way that kind of emits God's spirit and just his heart for people. And so that's really when I started to feel like, interesting. I'm really thinking that medical, whatever that looks like, could be a good skill for me to have. I love that. Again, another thing where the Lord's pointing something out and just being like, hey, if you want to go into this thing, I'm totally down for it. That makes school so much better because, you know, okay, I'm doing it for the Lord. And at least if I suck it up and go to my classes, then the Lord's going to use it somehow. So it's kind of like an extra big carrot on the end of the stick for that. (laughs) (laughs) But, okay, so accumulating skills and experiences, uh, where did you go from here? Did you stay with YWAM? Yeah, so I stayed with YWAM for four more years past this point. And it was a wonderful experience with a lot of amazing ministry and really just getting to love on people. And there were some really cool trips that happened in there, but one of the ones that I think was most powerful and really kind of relates back to God stringing together these skills was in 2010 when the earthquake happened in Haiti, the last really big one that they had. Me and two other staff people at YWAM just really felt like God said, you need to go. And we had no idea what we would be doing, where we would sleep. We didn't know anybody in Haiti. We knew there was a YWAM base in Haiti, um, in St. Mark, which is north of Port-au-Prince, where the earthquake epicenter was. But We didn't know them. We didn't really have time to contact them. And so another cool financial story is that for us three to get on the plane and be able to take medical supplies and all these things basically overnight within 24 hours, we needed about $10,000 between the three of us. And of course, we didn't have that money and all three of us live on support. So we made some calls, we prayed, and... We went to bed, and the next morning we woke up, and cumulative between the three of us, we had more than we needed to go. So, another cool way of God just showing up and confirming that that was what he had for us. That's legit. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody can write the story that God writes except him, because it's not even going to measure up. It's always the coolest. Yeah. I love that. Okay, so you go to Haiti and... We go to Haiti and 
there's so many stories I could share. It was one of the hardest, most just horrific things to experience. A third world country that's really just in total disarray and is just absolutely crumbled to the ground, literally and figuratively. And um, the Lord really just began to continue to confirm more and more things regarding this whole medical word he gave me back in Columbia. And so we ended up being at the YWAM base in St. Mark. And because the epicenter was in Port-au-Prince, people started fleeing Port-au-Prince because of the aftershocks. And so they thought, well, if we can get out of the city, maybe we can get away from these aftershocks. And so people started going up into St. Mark and the Wyman base took in about 60 people that were injured and had nowhere to go. And their injuries were very minor to very severe in need of pretty emergent or urgent surgery. However, the hospitals were destroyed. There's not great quality of care there and things were really chaotic. So there wasn't really anybody that had more than first aid experience on their staff and we were just doing the best we could with the supplies we had to try and care for people until we could get them to more advanced care. So it was hard to say the least. And there were points where I was literally fanning flies off of people's open wounds, just thinking this is not how these people should have to be living right now. Um, it's not fair. I was angry. I didn't understand how something so devastating where so many people died could happen and um, just was struggling and talking with God and saying, I don't get this. I don't get how you can let something like this happen. And then what do these people have? They don't have homes to go to. They've lost family members. They can't even get medical care for their injuries. And so I was mad. And I remember one day I didn't feel good. Um, it was super hot there. We were out in the sun all day, and so I just told the people that I travel with, I just need to go lay down for a few minutes. And so I went to lay down, and I just couldn't rest. And so I pulled out my Bible, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to read. And so I opened up to Isaiah and started reading. And to be honest, I don't even remember where in Isaiah I was reading, but the Lord really just started speaking to my heart about... I am here. I am protecting my people. I care about them. My heart is breaking more than you could ever imagine. And um, I need you to be back down there just loving people tangibly with your hands. And so through a series of just caring for various patients, I really felt like the Lord started speaking to me about getting further training as an EMT. And I felt like maybe that's something I could do that wasn't a lot of years of school, but also would be a very valuable experience for later on. So I came home from that trip and applied for an EMT school in San Francisco and got in and went and did the school and thought it was kind of amazing. And so I really felt confused, though, because I felt like God had called me into missions but then yet I was doing this medical training and I really loved it. And I thought I could see myself doing this full time. So I didn't really understand how the two things combined. 
and that I could use the EMT for missions at that point. So I ended up uh, resigning with YWAM, and I ended up moving back home to Colorado and did go full-time as an EMT. And I worked various jobs, both on the ambulance and in the hospital as a tech. And honestly, it was some of the hardest years of my life in terms of experiences and things that I saw. And I think I remember really towards the end of my active EMT career, how I felt like this season had really robbed me of the joy that I had in missions and just past experiences. I felt like there was so much that was hard in working in emergency medicine. And so I just didn't understand what God was doing. And I share that with you because life isn't always just bliss and wonderful. And we don't always understand the path that we're on, but God is still there and he's always present. And again, hindsight's twenty twenty. I didn't realize that through some of my healing process after I quit my job as an EMT and some of the other things would bring me back into this path that he had for me in my missions calling. That's awesome. I think that it's so cool how God can just be building us up and so much of our life is spent questioning the small picture that we can see of it and having a hard time trusting God on what he is doing and thinking either I must have missed it or God doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. And I just commend you for your faithfulness to pretty much just keep asking God questions. And that's really all God wants is that dialogue with us and our willingness to ask him something or start a conversation with him because he wants to be heard. He wants to talk to us more than we want to hear him most of the time. So I'm just thankful for you sharing that part of your story because it isn't just one to the next to the next. There's years in between and there's confusion in between and and that's okay. Like you said, the Lord's in all of it. Well, I know there's more to the story after that. More schooling things that the Lord prompted you about. Um, more adventures that you've had since then. But we'll save all of that for another episode. Because you're my friend, so you can come on and do another episode. <laughs> Great. Thanks. <laughs> I'm glad that you were part of this. I love hearing all your testimonies and stories. God's stories are my favorite. And thanks for sharing all that with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you were blessed and encouraged as you listened. Proclaiming-freedom.com is my website go ahead and check it out. There's also a contact form as well. If you would like prayer, fill out the form on my website. I'd love to pray for you. It's one of my favorite things to do, so don't hesitate to reach out. Well,